You're listening to the Beat Motel Zine podcast, and we need to warn you that we use words like shit, bollocks, scrotics, fuck, anarcho syndicalist, and cunt, and we don't normally beat those words out, apart from the word cunt, because we're not total animals. Now, we know as well as you that your children can hear these words on any street in Britain, possibly any street anywhere in the world, but we also appreciate that you may not want to invite these words into your home if you have children or sensitive pets nearby whilst listening to this podcast. So listener discretion is advised. That being said, if your children aren't allergic to hearing words like fuck, shit, or hind penis, they might learn something from listening to this podcast, although probably not because the quality of our educational content is quite poor. So there you go, fuckers, buckle in and let's get started. Hey, you're back with Beat Motel, and I'm here, and my name is Andrew Culture, and I'm here with Dr. Sam, who's my friend, and we talk about music, and it's funny sometimes. 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 <coughs> yes, and, th- and this episode has a special feature. It includes at least three people, at least three people with their name starting with an A. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Right, so for today's topic, I was going to make a clipping of a Velvet Underground song with Nico saying, All tomorrow's bodies. Oh, I, I didn't have time. I shall just sing that each time. Yeah. All tomorrow's bodies. <laughs> Sounds like I'm being horribly racist. Yeah, it's going a worth, bit Welsh. It's worth Welsh. I was going to say <laughs> she's supposed to be German. I don't know what part of Germany that that is. Oh man! Apparently, there's parts of Germany and parts of Deep Suffolk where you, the two people, can understand each other without actually speaking each other's language. <laughs> uh, which I'm not sure I believe because I've been to parts of Deep Suffolk where I can't fucking understand anyone I'm speaking to. Right, so let's crack on and let's get going with Riff of the Week. Uh, let me find my notes. Here is your Riff of the Week, Sam. That's me, that bit's not on the song, just in case anyone's wondering. I've said it before and I'll say it again, Dr. Sam, you're a dirty bastard. Well, I just thought when I was listening, I, I, I was listening to The Mothership Connection by Parliament, the album uh, that was theirs uh, the other day, which this is from. This is a song called Unfunky UFO. And I was <laughs> so listening to weird. your comment a few weeks ago. Of, uh, remember your comment a few weeks ago? I'm going to choose an actual riff. So <laughs> I choose a fucking riff. That is and a killer riff. And that whole album is just so good. It's just sort of put me down a George Clinton spiral, which I go down occasionally. Um, you, you say the whole whole album. Whole album I think so in the most tangible, physical sense, it is the whole album because the cover artwork, which I'm going to put in the show notes on the uh, beatmotel.co.uk website, the cover artwork is a UFO with, is it Bootsy Collins on the front? No, it's George Clinton. Really? So I've just I've never seen what George Clinton looked like in the seventies. I only know, sort of know what he looks like now. Uh, legs akimbo. Yeah, yeah. He is he is spreading them, and as we used to say at school, shut your legs, your hair cuts out of fashion. <laughs> I don't think his hair cuts ever been out of fashion. <laughs> no, that's um, true. 
it's just sort of it, it's yeah it's just remarkable how i don't know i it's just there's such a there's such a like if you try to do anything that uses those sort of same ideas you just end up sounding like a pale comparison is it true that he the the spaceship on the front or sorry the mothership is it true that they did build one and it bankrupted them yeah uh, it's apparently there's um there's a museum of african-american uh of african-americans now uh belatedly in uh washington dc um it wasn't open when we went back i was gonna say why on earth did we go there (laughs) yeah they've got a they've got a model of it uh, like a full scale replica model. I don't know if it's the original one. I think the original one's lost. But or how do you lose something that big? I, I mean, there's a lot of drugs going on, Andrew. Because <laughs> I've lost things like keys before. I've never lost over like a full scale spaceship. I don't know. I don't know if it's the, if, if it's an original copy or what. But yeah, there is. And they used to come down every night. They used to come down. I've seen that. I saw. I saw uh, Parliament Funkadelic twice. Once really been early two thousands when I first got into them, and George Clinton was still on crack, and they were they they were not looking. They, I mean, they they were touring hard, but they weren't like the best rep representative of themselves. Um, representation of themselves. It was uh, it was a bit uh, this this is a bit sad sort of aspect to it, and it was. I think it was at the London, uh, the Hammersmith Apollo, and it was not not a busy gig, and it oh, was no, quite really? sad. Ever. And then I saw them more recently, last few years, last sort of 2015, maybe 2016, um, maybe 17, can't remember. London, North London, somewhere, heaving, absolutely heaving, and yeah, by this point, uh, George Clinton is clean off the crack. Um, and he's really on top of it, and I think part of him getting on top of it is also he became he became, he became a lot sharper of a, as a as a band leader um, again, and so the music the music sort of picked up the quality again. Cool. I, I've never quite understood what the relationship between punk, Funkadelic and Parliament. So I always thought they were more or less the same band. Are they not? Yes, they are. They sort of are, but there was sort of a so part of it is to do with the sheer amount of uh, copyright issues. So <laughs> Parliament started as a band called, as far as I understand, it, Parliament. The part, the whole thing started. It's par- Parliament, isn't it? No, it's Parliament. It's not spelt right. Oh, yes, it is. Fucking hell! <laughs> Ignore me. Uh, but the whole thing started in the late 50s. Um, George Clinton and his friends wanted to be like teenage doo-wop stars. And um, throughout the 60s, they were sort of attempting and trying hard. But they never they got a hit song in 67, apparently, that allowed them to sort of have some leeway and some credibility. But it got mired with a load of uh, copyright issues. And funk, they had the Funkadelics who were their backing band when they were great. And so they just started using the Funkadelics. When Parliament was in, they were trying to get wrestle the control of the Parliament name, they started putting out stuff under the Funkadelics. And, and what happened was that the Funkadelic stuff is a lot more psychedelic rock and roll. Very Jimi Hendrix um, sort of stuff. 
And the Parliament stuff is actually a lot more deep funk, you know, really sort of emphasising the Bootsy Collins uh, thing. Because I think Bootsy Collins must have come in just as they got the rights to the name back again. It's got one of the coolest voices in rock, Bootsy Collins. <laughs> Bootsy, baby! <laughs> so cool. Uh, did did any band in the in the 50s, 60s or 70s actually sign a good record deal? No. <laughs> it's so many bad I stories. can't remember where the quote is from, but that someone said, I can't remember where this is from, but someone said that the history of the the history of the music business is the history of musicians being fucked over by businessmen. Yeah. It, 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 even in the 80s, there's that we talked about books a little while ago, and there's the book playing bass with two left hands. And he he worked really hard in, in Spaceman 3, the bassist, basically like two or three years. And when the album royalties came out, he got nothing. Nothing. He he literally ends up living in a hedge at the bottom of his mum's garden. And he met someone at the time who was basically, each time a musician died, they'd go to the family or whoever and, and buy the all the publishing rights. And like he said, it's just the scummiest thing in the world. Yeah, and I, I think I think George Clinton, I don't, I don't know this, but I think George Clinton has spent a lot of time the last few years trying to wrestle control over it, over the, the P-Funk uh, back catalogue because he was off his face and drugs for a lot of it. He was having a good time. He was fucked over by managers. The guy who ran Casablanca, I think, fucked him over um, and, and all the other musicians involved as well. Um and um, so there's, you know, there's certainly that uh, very real aspect of their legacy of, um, and he said, I was uh, actually listening to an interview earlier. He's like, you know, um, there's this whole uh, G-Funk thing. And um, there was a track recorded by Snoop Dogg, which is, takes the music from uh, George Clinton's solo hit song, Atomic Dog. Mm-hmm. So he oh, said that they went oh. into the studio for, a do- for a Dr. Dre and recorded it live, I think precisely probably because they could then claim songwriting and also performance uh, Uh, credits. There was a ton of that sort of thing happening when CDs first became a thing. My dad, I can remember my dad complaining at the time, he'd go and buy like an album by the Zombies or whoever. Or especially these 60s compilations were like a huge thing when CDs came out because Baby Boom was the only people who could afford CDs. And his complaint was always that they are always re-recorded versions, but it's because the original contracts were so bad. You know the Addicts, Ipswich Band, the Addicts. Oh yeah, yeah. They re-recorded like I think three or four of their first albums within a space of about six months. Well, you know, shit doesn't change because I think that's exactly what Taylor Swift, one of the biggest current artists in the world, is doing. She is re-releasing and she is re-recording and releasing the re-recorded versions of her previous hit songs to wrestle control over the royalties of it. It's wild that it's still happening. See, the, this whole thing, we're going to have to stop on this in a minute, but <laughs> there's some sort of slight sniffiness about the fact that, that kids can go to rock and roll school now. You absolutely can in, in the UK. You know, you go to careers office, I want to be in a band. Okay, go do that course on being in a band. And there's slight, slight sniffiness about the homogenization of creativity and all those kind of things. But I think one of the massive positives is that they get taught the music business they get taught business sense they get taught how contracts work so hopefully this thing of bands being absolutely ripped up the rectum is uh hopefully not going to last on forever uh i wish it was true but i i've seen a lot of the, the music 
news sites I uh, follow, there's a load of stuff about one merch cuts from by the year, by oh, man, um, yeah. yeah, merch cuts by venues taking up to twenty five percent, maybe more, um, in some cases, more than of that. what people are selling, and also I I just saw there was um a band today I can't remember their name um. But they basically said uh, we're 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 throwing in the towel because we can't afford to do it anymore. There's, we're not a big enough man to make it financially affordable. Um, on top of all these insane, you know, all the all the cost of living shit that's been going crazy in the last few years. Perhaps I think we maybe it would be a good topic to to do a, a whole podcast on because there's so there's so many angles to this. But somebody that you and I know, um, you know, we went to go and stay with Jim in near Boston. And his nephew's in, should I say the name of the band? I don't think I'll get him in any trouble. Um, he's in Wilhelm Scream. And when you and I were over in America, he was talking about how well they were doing. And he said they sold out an arena in, in Berlin. And they made they sold something like £25,000 worth of merch at this show. And after the label, the venue, the management, everyone had taken a cut. They had $100 to share between them, yeah. <laughs> which is just... Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, when I when I went to those, when I've been to, you know, you go to, you get used to go to punk rock gigs back in the early two thousands, and you could, you know, if a band was doing, if a band was starting out, you'd get a t shirt for maybe like seven pounds, <laughs> and then you'd go and see, say, Rancid at uh, Brixton Academy and be selling something for thirty, and you go, what the fuck, you guys, you you the guys who are doing well financially. And then you start to get into this all this stuff about how much it costs just to keep this band on the road, mm. and you know, and then they have to go back and have somewhere to live, and they have someone to have to afford, you know, to you know, they they DIY bands they don't do, make that much money. I'm sure Rancid did back in the '90s, and I'm sure there's, but and that doesn't excuse if they are taking the piss. But at the same time, there's a lot of other people taking the piss out of them. That's why with metal, everything's just a lot more upfront. I bought a Wolfheart T-shirt at the gig. I think it was twenty-five euros, which I mean that's an expensive T-shirt, but it's nicely made. <laughs> I've got to say, you know, at least kind of expensive band T-shirts. I really will decide if I'm going to buy them sometimes. About I'll buy a Gildan if it's a Gildan Ultra or heavy. I'll buy it because they don't change shape. It's ethically made. There's all this good stuff, and and I bet you know somebody will go Gildan aren't anymore because they're made in anyway. I'm not going to get into that. Um, speaking of DIY ethic, we're going to move on to my riff of the week, which isn't a riff at all. And in fact, it's against our unwritten rules of Beat Motel because I'm actually I'm going to say I'm going to do self-promotion. I'm not. It's not self-promotion. But I am friends with a band who I really like called The Interesting Times Gang. And I made friends with them because I contacted them and said, that's a great E&M Banks sci-fi reference. They went, yeah, it is. And I've made a video for them before. But we wanted to make a video, me and Hannah in the band, well, the whole band, wanted to make a video that was a bit more high concept. And they've got a song called uh, El Diabo Robotica. And it's a song based on an episode of Angel, loosely. Remember Angel? It's like a spin-off of Buffy. And the devil makes a robot and sends it to Earth. So they've made a 10-minute long kind of frog opera thing, song about it. So we decided to actually film it and I worked as director of photography and I was I was kind of involved with production design a little bit and I did the lighting design 
and camera operation and stuff. Fortunately, I didn't have to edit it because that would have been a nightmare. But I'm going to play you a bit of the song and I'm going to put a link to the video because I think this is... I love the fact that they, they do stuff like this. And it's, it, it's so DIY ethic. The, uh, the video, we wanted it to look like Amdram and holy fuck does it look like Amdram. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Because it's, it's <laughs> I went over Yeah, that I imagine they're friends and therefore you're going to get away with it. Um, but there's a carousel keyboard sound in that, and I just wonder about the, the the conversation that goes in to going. Yeah, but should we use it? Should we should we not use it? What's the benefits? And you know, because it, it's 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 not the. Um, you have to buy into it, shall we say? They, they, they buy into what they do so beautifully. They're, I've had conversations with Hannah, who's uh, sort of, I don't, she's kind of de facto band leader, about the joy of being pretentious and about the joy of just going fuck it. This is what we want to do, and I, I like that little clip. There's a little Robert Fripp sort of whiny guitar bit, like in Heroes. Yeah, yeah. Watch, watch the video. Just watch, watch without prejudice, because it's. They captured, well, we captured something which I think is is good, but it's also very funny. In, and if you know or have ever seen Amdram in Britain, this is we've they've made such a perfect pastiche, and I love how over dramatic some of it is. And we we got extras involved. We only managed to get about four, <laughs> so we can change it because there's so many bits like you can see people waiting in the rings. We hired out a village hall. In Suffolk, and spent the spent the, spent a day filming, it and pre production was over a year. But just, just watch that project; it's a lot of fun. They're, they are a fun band, so that was interesting times, gang. And we ought to move on and talk about ATP because we're fucking twenty minutes into the podcast, and that only gives us that only gives us forty minutes. So I tell you what, let's play a song, and then we'll actually start talking about ATP. So this is Tweak Bird with what is it? A Sun Aha. Is that, 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 I've got to say that when you sent me the list of songs, you left the T off the beginning of Tweak, so it just said Weak Bird. 
It was one of the most upsetting Google, you know, YouTube search things I think I've ever done. Oh, it's a weak bird. Look, it's so sad. <laughs> How have I not heard that before? I must have been at ATP with you. I don't think you heard that one. Uh, play, play the sound clip from, um, you know, it's it's called uh, what do I call it? Something uh, to go with um, TB. I've got it. I've just just got to got to rustle it up. So so I'll introduce it. Uh, I asked some friends, two friends, uh, who I went to see a lot of ATP stuff with. Um, and uh, I asked them for their comments of their experiences of ATP. And uh, keep going. No, no, um, it's ready. I don't uh, know. I, I mailed it to you. This then is, this is the lovely and Andy Baldwin, who also chose the Tweet Bird song, and he's uh, proof that I can only be friends with people with the names of A. <laughs> I'd love to have gone to ATP with Andy. I think he's a wonderful human being. Association of Tennis Partners, ATP. Huh? All tomorrow's parties. Wow, that's a blast from the past. Uh, what a fantastic idea that always was if you were approaching middle age and middle class where you can't <laughs> be doing with the, the camping to be able to sit in your chalet and hide away from the hoi polloi. Uh, I wish I went to more than I did, but I only ever went to one, which was the Melvins and Mike Patton curated one along with Dr. Page, or as he was known then, Mr. Page. Um, what an amazing experience that was uh, to see such a variety of bands and going from quite quite some extremes to really heavy or to very, very mellow sort of string quartet type things. Um, we, we started off with Tweakbird. Um, and I think that sort of kind of summed up a lot of it as bands that you've never heard before and never seen anything of since, and I still listen to them. Um, and then you just have crazy things, like you'd be trying to get to sleep and, oh, that uh, Romanian gypsy band, Tariff Tar- 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 to just performing through the centre of the the campsite. Can you call it a campsite for Shelley? No. <laughs> course as middle-aged and middle class you you have to give up certain things like couscous salad is not going to be on the cards you go gonna have to settle for the fish and chips or a pizza hut and that that was about it so by by the end of the weekend i was uh, definitely craving vitamins because it was dark out as well there's no sun but what a fantastic experience that i'll never ever forget and i really wish i'd I'd been to more all tomorrow's parties is he done so uh, I think I think this made me realise that what we should do is introduce ATP um, a little bit. And these, uh, you know, when you put ATP into Google now, it does come up with the all you know the American Tennis Players Association mm-hmm. or whatever it's called. All <clears throat> tourist parties, obviously, as Andrew alluded to earlier, is uh, 
takes their name from a velvet underground, and um, they started in the early late maybe late nineties, early two thousands, and they sort of developed into this thing of like a it was like a I don't know it felt very DIY a lot of it, and um, it was basically weekends in holiday homes off season where uh, they would ask fans and sometimes the Simpsons creator, Matt Groening, um, to curate and choose the bands to play. And these bands sort of, they weren't pop, but they were certainly, some of them certainly did do well in uh, other festival lineups. But this is fest, you know, these are, and they, and then they went abroad. They did ATP in Australia. They did ATP in, uh, you know, America, Iceland, Iceland, and um, and uh, yeah, and and it never felt like it was run by a corporate association. The first one I went (laughs) to, they, uh, they, it was in Butlins, and they, they, they got in like a local brewery to provide ale and um they also put on a load of concerts in london um some of them were quite curious lineups and they put on day festivals in london we went to see slayer at ali pali with the melvins um and sleep and sleep and um so they did all these different aspects uh of pretty much the I would call it the left field of the of, of the pop world. Oh, so so far left of the dial, but there there was a lot of details at ATP festivals that I I absolutely loved. So you got a little program. It wasn't one of those festivals where everything cost you extra. They were kind of generous with the amount of stuff they gave away. So you got a really nice little program. It was actually like a little book. Yeah. But they also would take over the the TVs. So all the chalets had these shitty little tvs like proper late 70s little tellies and you switch them on and, and then atp would control the channels but i always assumed it was someone who was drunk or stoned because it was done so shoddily i can remember watching <laughs> onyo for the first time a studio ghibli film mm. and it kept it kept sort of cross-fading between ponyo and really creepy clips of an american high school at night I got back and I've never seen any studio given. I showed my wife, so like, you've got to see this thing, Ponyo. It's so fucking trippy the way it like flips and like it's mostly this cartoon which makes it look like it's made for kids, but then also it's got these really creepy bits for an American high school. And I watched it and went, Yep, none of that stuff's there, is it? <laughs> <laughs> none of that stuff's there at all. That's I mean, somebody stoned at one o'clock in the morning going, <laughs> I, I guess that, yeah, but I, I think that's that, that thing of like what made it both lovable, but also inevitably that it was, wasn't short lived. It lasted for a good 16 years at least. Wow, really? But, Bloody hell, how? <laughs> yeah, but that's that question of how, because it always felt like they, they bust, were on the like... precipice of falling over. And, um, I felt like when I first started going to their stuff in 2009, I think that Melvin's Mike Patton one was uh, with Andy. It felt already like it was an established thing, and they and it felt in a weird way like they were starting to encroach on our territory. To me, not that I sort of was protective about it or gatekeeper about oh, it. Go on, explain that. Festival. But I associated ATP with 
American indie worship, essentially. Mm, yeah. And when they started bringing in the heavier bands, it felt like there was a a version of heavy that they approved of and a version of heavy that they didn't approve of. And so you would never find Calibre Corpse. No, there was never anything extreme. And their version of what would be extreme would be bands like Wolves in the Throne Room. Yeah, and, you know, so they, but this was like an acceptable version of metal. I don't know what those parameters were acceptable to them because Wolves in the Throne Room are basically a post black metal uh, eco you know eco band um they, they had they had twigs on their merch store yeah. they didn't have any and merch it amused me so much i ended up buying a t-shirt oh they um, did have t-shirts <laughs> yeah yeah um, i just remember all the twigs it was one of my favorite t-shirts for years um and uh but there was sort of it was like an approved version of what you know uh yeah they it felt like it was a, a curated heaviness to it not in like a we actually like this genre, but we like stuff that some friend of us, ours, who has been introduced us. So this is the point where I got a bit pissed off with, I was never a massive Slayer fan, but this sort of pushing of this, um, pushing of Slayer as this amazing band, I've just never been that enamored with Slayer. So I didn't understand why people in a certain space who did not enjoy metal would go on about Slayer so much. It just didn't strike me as a natural relationship. Um, I, yeah, I thought that was really odd. I, I can remember being there and going out for a cigarette, and some I think I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, and somebody said, this, this girl said, How, what do you think of it? And I said, I don't really get it. She's like, don't let anyone hear you say that. They'll kick your head in. And I was like, well, this, this isn't the ATP festival I'm used to. Uh, but, yeah, but, that, um, but that's that thing of, like, Slayer have become, like, an accepted band to to sort of lord um, in a weird way. I'm, I have, I'm, they, 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 they have some great riffs, but they don't have greater riffs than, I, you know, why Slayer, not Anthrax? I don't know. We, we, we're going to have to, we're going to have to move on and let's talk, let's get it out of the way. Let's talk about the inevitable death of ATP. So they essentially died because they uh, couldn't make money from, from, they refused corporate. Basically, one of the reasons was that they refused corporate sponsorship. They refused corporate sponsorship, but also the way festivals make money—you know, Reading Festival, Latitude, whatever—they they make they don't really make the money from the ticket sales. They make money from concessions. If you run a hot dog stall or whatever at Reading Festival, you can take one hundred and fifty grand in a weekend, and a percentage of that goes to the organisers. When you and I were at Hell Sinky. The, we saw the organizers handing out all the EPOS machine, you know, the card machines, because they, they take a percentage. That's how you, you make money at, at festivals. But because they use pontins and butlins, which if you're not from the UK, pontins and butlins are like a, a weird hangover of like pre, pre-World pre War II holiday camps. That Some of them were army barracks. They were literally army barracks that they like added a swimming pool to or whatever. And they have very well-established concessions that are all owned or franchised by Butlins or Pontins, so they couldn't have their own concessions. So they, they essentially couldn't really make money, but also it, it transpired, and there's articles on this online, which I'm not going to link to, because if you want to read them, you go find them, um, saying that it was run like a fucking mid, mid-80s 
Russian nuclear power station. <laughs> Essentially, it was just run very badly. And I think I think it's a shame. And I hope that's not the legacy of ATP because we went to the one where they went bust during. They used to do two two weekends. They do like a first weekend and a second weekend. And we were at the the, the first weekend in Prestatyn in Wales, and they went bust. I think the day we arrived. Well, it was that thing. Well, that was the, the that was the Stuart Lee one, um, and that was actually a return. They were trying to return because there was the end of an era back in two thousand thirteen, and two thousand sixteen was like um, it felt like a very depressed version of. Yeah, uh, they, they've gone bust what three times already by then. The the, the, the group, the um, company that all changed, that owned the organisation, kept changing. Um, because yeah, they would basically sometimes they would hire out these 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 sound systems and not pay up in time and so on, and people started suing them left, right, and centre. Oh, before. the sound! The sound was always amazing. <coughs> that was one of the real positives. Of ATP. The sound was fucking remarkable. Mostly, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the last one, people were people were were dropping out during yeah. the weekend, and then the second weekend just just didn't happen. But it would be a shame if that's a legacy. So let, let let's play some music. Let's let's go on to something positive. Although I did think it was funny the last the last ATP, somebody changed the name of the Wi-Fi to Barry. I can't remember his name. Barry Hogan. Barry Hogan is a hmm, I'm not going to say that word. God, we the the episode before this is a review of Fascinating Ada, which is basically posh middle class women swearing, and the amount of editing I had to do on that. Oh, I'm not going to dwell on that anyway. But that that word, the naughty word, came up a lot. Bella and Sebastian. <laughs> that was one of the first, wasn't it? That was when it was called Bowley rather than ATP. Uh, that was the Melvins with the Talking Horse. I had to choose that because that's one of many bands that, that I saw, I probably heard, if I'm honest, for the first time at an ATP. And going along with what Andy said earlier, so many bands discovered at ATP. And part of the joy of it was the curated models. You could walk into a room and see a band that you'd never choose to go and see but could become one of your favourite bands ever, or the Godspeed You Black Emperor one, you'd walk into a room and go, fucking hell, more difficult music. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it was certainly, you know, it, it felt like it was, I mean, this is the thing, is that it felt like it was done by music bands all the time. <clears throat> and and the whole thing was curated by music bands. And um, in a weird way, it was sort of like every time the... ATP had a hand in the curation of it. I always thought it was a bit worse than when the bands did. Um, I, yeah, there was something about, like, I remember seeing gigs in London where there was these support bands just, just made, they were just shit. And, you know, I didn't understand. <laughs> I didn't understand. I'm, I'm not going to, and I can't even name names because I, I don't, it's, both I don't want to, and also it's not fair to those bands. And But it they just didn't make 
sense in a way that the way they were put on but obviously these guys felt like it it worked in a way it it was fun sometimes because the way a lot of sort of mid-tier bands if you book a mid-tier band for a mid-tier venue the record label basically or the management will say right you can have them if we can put this other band on the bill so it'll be another band that the label or, or the management company is trying to promote ATP just sort of seemed to be outside of the rules. And sometimes I thought, God, they're just being like deliberately quirky. But a lot of the time it just came across as like, well, we want to put on these two bands that we both, that we really like both of them. And we know that you're going to see Serbian carnival folk with (laughs) the Melvins. Deal with it. (laughs) You know, it was. And I I mean, Melvins do. Uh, look weird in Serbian carnival folk, though. I'd love to have seen Buzz over the sousaphone wrapped around him. and ah, Fuck it, he'd probably do it, wouldn't he? Right, going to play a, the next band is Sam's Choice, and it's this band is so... But what? You're shaking your well, head. my choice. We'll get to it. We'll, we'll get to it. Shall I play the clip before or after? Uh, play it now. What, play the, the clip that somebody sent in? Yeah. Oh, okay. I have very fond memories of ATP. I went to maybe four or five at um, part at um, Minehead in Bristol and uh, and Camber Sands on the south coast. Um, and yeah, just um, my first impression, particularly, was such a good one, such a scene setter. I remember wandering into uh, this, you know, traditional like carpeted old entertainment hall where, you know, probably lots of traditional uh, entertainment had taken place over the years. Um, and then... What's traditional entertainment? This, uh, yeah, just a brilliant sound that I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, it turned out to be the Country Teasers, <laughs> who I'd never heard of, had no idea about, um, but just an amazing, uh, like, fully sardonic sound, a bit like the fall on Valium. Um, <laughs> and just that brilliant first juxtaposition of... Of the traditional and the uh, and the kind of weird and niche music, um, and and also you know what ATP and all good festivals should be about is you know, discovering a new band. Um, yeah, that that happened f- full on from the first moment, um, and I just remember as well just the, of the lineups just being blown away by all these bands who you know felt so much on the margins at the time and were being kind of brought together um you know at a brilliant festival by by organizers who you know were proving that there was an appetite for uh this you know non-mainstream stuff um and you know they they one of the best things about atp was doing things differently um and so you know putting bands like shellac on you know as curators of course um several times was was a great a great proof of that because they're a band who um love to do things differently themselves so you know they would uh headline and curate but go on uh first on uh on the main stage at like lunchtime so they could you know because because why not and <laughs> so they could probably enjoy themselves but it's just you know what a great way to see a band like that um and you know, just brilliant, surreal seaside experiences as well. You know, you can go and enjoy the seaside in a way that 
probably you know never have done before and you know pop down to the to the seashore in the middle of the night or as the sun's going down or or whatever that just like adds to the whole thing who was that sam that was uh ai nickel as i call him now what you call ai nickel (laughs) alex nickel um and uh, he who of the band Godzilla Black and a load of other ones. And forgive me, Al, I can't quite remember. He made you're... some really nice points in there. I can remember you used to just see these sites that were just weird and cool. I can remember one of the last ones was at Canvas Sands in Kent. And... Tiger Moth is his current band. Sorry. Okay. Um, Canvas Sands in Kent and Red Fang were playing, who I, who I really liked. And just remember seeing them wandering down to the beach, looking really confused. <laughs> just like, what, what's going on? But the the shellac the thing he said about shellac, who we'll play in a minute. That one of the last times I went to ATP shellac, they they curated it more than once. And because they were curating, they went on first and last, first band at the festival, last band at the festival. In the meetings beforehand, that probably sounded great, but there was a long queue to get in, so to get your wristband. So we fucking missed them playing first. And I was always the sucker who had to drive to and from ATPs. So they played last at ATP at about half two in the morning when I had to drive all the way back to Ipswich, leaving at about seven in the morning. So I missed them again. So I went to the Shellac ATP. I didn't fucking see him once. <laughs> but anyway, let's, let's, let's listen to him. Yay, Shellac. I think I saw them probably more than any other bands. And they, they always did something interesting, like taking the drum kit apart while while the drummer was playing it. And... Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, well, Al's comment in Shellac in itself it brings me to, to the sort of the topic of um, ATP bands. And um, bands that you would never see outside. I, I never saw, you know, I'll probably never see Shellac again. Because ATP doesn't exist anymore, mm. I will never see. I really miss seeing Les Savi Fab. Oh, yeah, these bands uh, only appeared to exist at ATP. Yeah, and and, and I, know, I know Deer Hoof have gone on to greater things, but they certainly one of these bands that every sort of every they would play at least one ATP festival a year. It would mm. seem, and um, and I'm sure there were other ones, and I guess in a way, like Bella and Sebastian became like a headliner band, like the indie of the indie side. They were sort of the darlings of the ATP, whereas sort of Shellac was sort of the darlings of the, the alternative side. Um, and um, and yeah, they they have these bands that you just I just now in my head associate solely with ATP and, and those experiences. Quick Shellac story before we move on. The 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 chatter Shellac, I think, played so many times. I think they made friends with people in the audience. And one of the times I saw them at, uh, at Minehead, Steve Albini had brought some bottles of some sort of booze that somebody had requested. He basically done shopping for people in America <laughs> before coming coming over. Was handing it out from the stage, and 
I can remember another time. I think he used to start playing poker or something, didn't he? he used yeah, to like he's, big, he's, he's big into his poker. And they, he said, he complained that he hadn't got, because bands, the other thing, bands used to play, a band playing more than once over the weekend was just completely normal, just completely, almost standard. Um, and he was saying that he hadn't got much sleep night. And he was like, look, whoever's in the chalet next to mine, and he said which chalet he was in and that people were welcome to go and say hello. As long as it was like he gave like you know criteria, he said whoever's in the shallow next to me, you are trying all night. You got to change your technique. You're just you're not arriving. You got to do something different. And it was just like it was like so many brilliant things like that at ATP that I'm sure you wouldn't get anywhere else because it ended up feeling just like a a party where everyone was everyone knew you. Everyone it was yeah. everyone you, was there I mean, for listen, some reason. I, I, I think that, that hits a point of like there's a major thing of like just seeing. The band members wander around, mm. and they wouldn't start. They wouldn't watch the bands necessarily by the state side of the stage. They would actually be in the crowd watching the bands yeah. with everybody else, and that sort of bring it home of like more than any other festival or any music gig I've ever been to. It's sort of like, oh no, the the, uh, the bands hold on, bands are like part of it. Give me that. At your front door. Well, I'm going to play the next track while he's gone. It's fake, brilliant. <laughs> Watch the video on YouTube for this, please. It's great. I'm into this podcast, not Tano. We'll do that as well. <laughs> uh, just play that because th- that's just one of the most memorable things. They filled the, the big cabaret lounge at, at Minehead so thick full of smoke, all the alarms were going off. And when they came on, it was so loud. I can remember, like, everyone within my field of view, everyone's pints rattled along and fell off the table. And this was after I'd driven for about seven or eight hours from Suffolk to Minehead in heavy snow. And I was struggling to stay awake by that point. But Sunno came on, and it was just so loud. No, I'm confusing things. That wasn't then. doesn't matter. Sorry, I broke the fourth wall there. <laughs> um, they, uh... Yeah, I, I remember watching as they got ready... Um... As they got ready to set up and play, I remember the first time I saw Sunno or Sun. But I want to say Sunno. That's just what I want to say, Sunno. Um, and um, they were, uh, what were they doing? Oh, people just lying on the floor. Yeah. That's how they got ready. It wasn't sort of people, you know, practicing their dance moves or anything like this. It was people lying on the floor getting ready to be like, you know, shaked. But with with the St John's ambulance going around shining lights in people's eyes and offering them peppermints to check they're okay, <laughs> you you reminded me of two stories. One of uh, one was told to me by a friend where Melvin's played last thing uh, one night and the first thing the next night. Apparently, there was a staff member behind the bar um, who was working both sessions, and when the Melvins came on, she said, "Not again! Not again!" <laughs> The staff was so tolerant. They, I can remember we, yeah, it was the one when it snowed really badly, and I got a, a massage. Uh, they always had like weird that you had massage people in the room, but fuck buttons were playing. And I've said this, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but they, the every single light in the entire room was changing automatically. I thought in in tune to the music, including the <laughs> lights behind the bars that like shine on the optics and stuff, like bar staff trying to like get 
drink through people with the lights flashing <laughs> on and off. I found out since um, that though that was nothing to do with fuck buttons. I know the the guy who was their manager at the time said no. Someone at Buttons just took it upon themselves to do that. And they were pretty much just flicking light switches on and off, which is God, how wonderful! But uh, yeah, but um, also, you remind me, one thing we haven't talked about at all um, is there's also this aspect of um, album people playing albums, the whole albums. Oh, that's just sort of become a thing now. But yeah, that and that was started. started that was started by ATP. Mm, that was, they, that was probably the longest lasting contribution they provided to sort of the change of live music. I was listening, I was looking at uh, some, was it? I can't remember what weekend it was. Um, it was, yeah. Ultima uh, Presents, what is this? 2000, I can't see. It's Porter's Head um, and ATP. Public Enemy performing Fear of wow, the Black Planet. bloody hell. I wish I'd gone to that. And other bands on that. It's Swans played. Uh, who else? Mogwai, Battles, Shellac, Earth, Deer Hoof, The Horrors, The Pop Group, The Silver Mount, Zion Memorial Orchestra, uh, Mark Ribot, Ceramic Dog, uh, Mark Ribot being the person, uh, Tom Waits' guitarist. Um, Oh, Anita, a hawk and a hacksaw, Colin Stetson. I mean, that lineup still today is incredible. That's one gig. That's one weekend, yeah. <laughs> That's mad. Right, we need to move on. So here's opposite end of the scale, I'd say, to Sano. Go on, just the wild gigs. Give, give us a quick summary because we're, we're running short on time. Cool. Let's have a uh, Basically, um, uh, they had, to me, what sounded like um, that was Patty Lee, obviously, the song. Uh, it sounded like they always had a sort of punk, hardcore rhythm section with an indie top section and a really large, pretty wild frontman who he was, was bonkers, wasn't he? Brilliant he, fun. He was bald, bearded, sweaty always performed in something else and he would climb the entire venue in that mm. sort of what I what I think is sort of an extension of hardcore singer the performance of a hardcore vocalist um, but he was singing melodies as well I went to see the ATP there's a documentary film about ATP that they produced themselves um, but they debuted the film excuse me they debuted the film and then and then let's have a fab played and there wasn't that many people to see them, and the singer just—I can't remember where it was—but it was in one of those old Victorian musical that has been become like a pop music venue. And he was just climbing the rafters. He was actually on the balcony. Wow! He, his extension, and he never used a radio mic. He always used a wired mic. Yeah, that always used to make me. If you're right in the middle of the crowd, you're like, "How is that mic still plugged in?" And then it wasn't a few seconds later. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, 
that was the yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to cut that short. I just just chucked them in because the the organization was such that sometimes things didn't happen well rarely happened when they were supposed to and yeah yeah yes came on stage like about an hour and a half after they were meant to because they got stuck in the snow and the singer came on and she smashed a bottle of, of champagne on one of the monitors which at the time i thought was a bit of a dick move and she just said atp i love you i hate you and i love you and i hate you and i love you and i hate you and i thought that in some way sums up how a lot of people probably feel about ATP. I love you and I hate you and I love you and I hate you. But we're going to move straight on to you. Go on, have, have, a, have a word, then we'll move on to your next choice. No, I think that... I'll, 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 I'll tag it on to this. The watch don't say The watch don't say The watch don't say you got to be able to sell yourself, so I stuck my life on eBay. £25, mate. Scratch the lager spot on my chin. I'm hungry. I'm worrying. I'm tinting. I'm the dodgy sailor. I'm that sweat freak from the kills. Jamie, do me a fucking favour. Banal. 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 That was Sleeping Muds. And I wanted to include them because that was the... I think, to my mind, that they were the last band i saw <gasps> from an atp festival that really oh, made an impression man. yeah and they played the stuart lee one and they were the only band literally the only band that weekend i think which really came through well I the rest I of it right uh, the rest of it was pretty shoddy and heartbreaking and that's the thing of atp i was sort of like i think that point you made about the i love them and hate them so i love those weekends i absolutely love them and and I love a lot of the stuff they put on in London, but there was something endlessly frustrating about the experience as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wish I had my pictures because I can't find my pictures from ATP. But so the, the uh, I've used AI to generate the the episode image for this one. But here's my final choice. Hitching up the buggy, churning lots of butter, raise the barn on Monday. Soon I'll raise another. Think you're really righteous. I don't need to play the whole of that clip, I don't think. But Weird Al was one of the most joyous things. The uh, the Godspeed You Black Emperor ATP, which, because everyone wanted to see Godspeed, you had to get an extra special ticket. Like, you had to choose which Godspeed performance you went to. And Dom, my drummer, and I went swimming. Um, and we found out the performance that was supposed to be 6 o'clock in the evening, they'd done at 10 a.m. instead. And we only found out by walking into the main part of the venue at Minehead. And there were posters up, basically, yeah, we decided to play this morning. And I thought, you fuckers. You know, that that took being difficult to a whole new level. But the whole weekend ended up being walking into rooms and going, oh, what's this? And it was all like that sort of analog soup that people make with electronica. So at the end of the weekend, seeing Weird Al, who was horribly ill with the flu, was brilliant. He was so good. I would absolutely go and see Weird Al again, based purely on his performance at ATP. Um, I forgot we had seen him, but you're right. It was. I think. I think the juxtaposition of Weird Al from all the bands, um, the juxtaposition between Weird Al and almost every other thing on that weekend, made Weird Al that much more glorious. Yeah, much more sort of like the the bleakness of all these other bands like neurosis and oh, how um, many times neurosis played every fucking atp i went to i think yeah and uh all these other bands throbbing gristle played that one 
Ah, um, uh, no, they didn't actually play because one canceled. of them, uh, one of them topped themselves. I can't remember who. Mm. Orange, Genius P. Orange? I can't remember who, which one it was. Wolves I know it wasn't Cozy Fanny. That was the Wolves in the Throne Room one. Um, and also one of the best... Well, actually, that, that, that one, to me, there was... Not a lot of in between stuff. There was a lot of like either it was it didn't hit or it massively did. Because I remember seeing uh, the Dutch anarcho punk band um, the X played. Uh, I've played with them with with an orchestra with like a, a, a horn section. Wow. Um, with I think Max Gustafsson, who is a very well known free jazz uh, saxophonist, uh, was playing with them at that point, and I'd never seen. A band completely—they were the, one of the best bands I've ever seen. That I wish I'd seen that because we we played with them with oh, I can't remember which band I was in at the time, possibly Failure Men. And not only were the X wonderful, wonderful human beings, I there was just something about them that I absolutely loved. I really should listen to them actually, but that I, with the horn section would have been great. But that's that thing of like, you know, to, to use that phrase, some things are best left at ATP. Um, you know, mm. some things are best. Uh, some things happen on the road, um, and um, I've got a few X records, and they're good, but they just cannot hit that high. And um, I go see the X uh, drop of a hat, and I think I've seen them since, and they were great. And they'll never be as good as that 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 moment with those uh, that horn section. And I think it is that juxtaposition between sort of joyous stuff like Weird Al and the X and the misery of Wolves in the Throne Room and Godspeed, your Black Emperor, who who I can't stand. I, I don't. I, just... I, I kind of wonder if we... I was going to say we might have to do a part two, but I, I don't know. It, there's so much around ATP, but a lot of it is so personal to everybody who went that yeah. if you if you haven't been to ATP... I hope this this episode didn't sort of leave you distant. If you did go to ETP, then please contact us because those little clips that got sent in with people's memories, I really like. And I've switched on a function on on the podcast. If you if you're listening to the podcast via Spotify, or if you go to the podcast website beatmotel.co.uk, you can click a button and you can now send us voice notes. Please do. I'd love to hear you. Just because ATP meant so much. I've got so many stories I haven't told you about ATP. So many that maybe we'll do it again. Maybe we won't. But yeah, please go to the website and send us it'd a be, voice. It'd be note. really nice. It'd be really nice to hear other people's experiences. Yeah, I think, I think. Yeah. Let's commit. Let's do it. Um, it won't be for a little while because we want to gather together all the bits. But let's do another ATP special. But let's do it with voice notes. I hope I'm going to make it happen because I hate it in podcasts where they say stuff like this and nothing happens. Um, but unfortunately, with our podcast, sometimes things that we don't want to happen do keep happening. And to that end, we've had an email from Rudica Broomhilda, <laughs> and I'm, I've just sent you the uh, the picture, the selfie that he's included with his with his email for this episode. So, can you describe the uh, the image? It'll be on the show notes on the website as well. Uh, he is looking. Is wearing a, a, one of those sort of ironic T-shirts from a band that looks like the late sixties. Um, his hair is always up. He's doing the dishes at last, thank God. <laughs> but also the, the dishwasher, the, the soap doesn't look particularly clean, I have to say. And there's a weird thing going on with the tap. I'm not sure how the tap works. Um, it doesn't look like a real tap. Um, and the kitchen looks like a nice country house kitchen. 
And uh, do we get to see his tattoo? His tattoo is of a ship. I think it's a faded <laughs> ship in a heart. Um, and he's got his sunglasses on still. Twat. Oh man! Right, so let's. I'm going to read his. I'm going to read his email. Okay. Oh, it's got a subject line. The subject line is a couple of curiosities from a woozy music fan, which I quite like the alliteration sort of sound of that woozy music fan. Dear Andrew and Doctor Sam, hope this finds you both hitting the high notes and staying in tune. Rodica here, still buzzing from the beat, albeit a little bit dizzy from my recent gastric surgery adventure. Ah, oh, the things we endure for the love of plums and podcasts. <laughs> have you seen the clip of you laughing that I, I put on Instagram? Oh, God, yeah. it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> uh, suffice to say, I missed your last episode due to being in the care of the NHS, but I felt compelled to email you anyway. Andrew, I have a question that's as straightforward as a drum solo. What? <laughs> Sorry. Andrew, I have a question that's as straightforward as a drum solo. In your esteemed opinion, which famous musician would make the best pizza chef? And why do I ask? I can't shake the mental image of a rock star tossing his dough. (laughs) There's nothing rude about that phrase, tossing his dough, but it's, it's it's quite wonderful. Dear Sam, on to a more melodic matter, though I'm afraid there's a bit of befuddlement in my noggin. I've been trying to wrap my head round the concept of middle eights, and for some reason I've concocted this image sharing of sharing a bath with a muddy rugby team. Don't ask. <laughs> Could you enlighten me? Have you ever experienced a middle eight in this peculiar context? <laughs> Asking for a friend. <laughs> I've never tossed my dough with rug- a rugby team. <laughs> you haven't lived! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, before I forget, I've been reminiscing about that time I had to clean the dental surgery toilet after my my unripe plum. (laughs) (laughs) Reminiscing, it was like last week. Oh, before I forget, I've been reminiscing about that time I had to clean the dental surgery toilet after my unripe plum escapade. What a symphony of smells and memories. Definitely a story I'll keep in my back pocket, much like a well-loved bum plum. <laughs> he's really going on a motif here, isn't he? He's, 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 he's doubled down on it. Well, I must dash. I've got a bit of a situation here. I think I may have trapped my foreskin in the... Foreskin? T- <laughs> <laughs> I think I may have trapped my foreskin in the detergent tray of my mother's washing machine. <laughs> Suffice to say, is a bit of a squat and a squeeze. Keep the beats flowing and the wisdom coming in my ears. Rock on. Rodica Broomhilder, your slightly woozy but ever devoted fan. He he seems high on something. I think I think the fumes have got to him. Well he did say that he'd had an operation because of the unripe plums. <laughs> but I think he also seems to be channeling Sid James or some sort of like ridiculous <laughs> double entendre thing. Um it's it's developing in a way which is both horrible and fascinating. Yes. Um, yeah. Right, we are over time as usual. Please contact us. We really enjoy getting the the emails and the notes. And I say, head to beatmytoe.co.uk and you can now leave a voice message. Go on, send us a voice message. I dare you. Right, I've got to say goodbye because I really need a piss. Sam, what are you going to say? What have you got to say for yourself? 
Wow. Should we take some time to think about that? No. You can just fuck 